0: Grandparents Day, a day to celebrate old people, (laughs) of which we all aspire to be, and I have learned we are all old to somebody, all of us, as young as I am, my children think that I am ancient. There's one commentator, he had to be writing around Christmas time, and he had seen one too many Santa Claus Around. He said, There are three stages in life. In the first stage, you believe in Santa Claus and you are the recipient of all of those wonderful presents. He said, In the next stage of life, you are Santa Claus and you're giving all of those presents. And in the third stage of life, he said, You look like Santa Claus and don't probably move as well as you once did. I have no doubt in my mind. That becoming a grandparent is a life-altering event. I have not experienced it and hope there is much time between here and there. But I believe you perceive that life will be full of hugs and cuddles and kisses 24-7. Grandparents are happy people, I think. You might ask, why does grandpa smile all the time? Well, it's because he never hears a word you say. And he just wants you to think that he's in a good mood to convey happiness. I have no doubt that grandparenting brings about reflection. As a grandparent, you probably do a lot of reflecting on your own parenting. And I imagine we should all be warned that it is fact that we'll look at our parenting and be so glad that we did some of the things that we did and so regretful that we did or didn't do many other things. And in a way, you get the opportunity to be the parent that you always wished you would be, full of patience and full of wisdom. In fact, the things that your children did that pushed your buttons and annoyed you, your grandchildren will do, and it won't bother you at all, which is why your children resent you. Understand, you've done it to yourself. I've witnessed this with my own parents, in fact. I think for a fact, the Bible has much to say about not just parenting, but grandparenting. And the reality is such that the Scripture equips us to pass along what we know if we will just enact the steps of Scripture. There's a great Old Testament story. It's the story of Ruth begins quite tragically and then we are introduced to God's amazing provision and miraculously God extends the life of a family. In the book of Ruth there is the story of Naomi and in the last few scenes of this story just listen as I read from Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth And she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Many chapters, it's not a long book, but many of the chapters of the story of Ruth are taken up with Ruth and Boaz's dating relationship. At this point in time, we have just two sentences in that verse, and we've seen a wedding, a home established, and a baby boy is delivered. Now, Naomi, who the story of Ruth begins with the spotlight on, is now going to have the spotlight return to her as she becomes a grandmother. And this is what the Bible says in Ruth 4.14. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee, get this, a restorer of thy life, And a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seventh sons, hath borne him. So the women of the village are basically telling Naomi, because you have a grandson, your life has been restored. We can sense within you a fresh enthusiasm for life, a renewed purpose and joy. In verse 16, the Bible says, and Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. She became the guardian. She became the caregiver and even the neighbors noticed that the arrival of this grandson put a bounce in her step. What a beautiful scene that is. One doctor who authored several books on the subject of grandparenting wrote that the bond between a child and a grandparent is the least complicated form of human love. And I said that the Bible has much to say about it. And perhaps the most concise verse on grandparenting in all of the Bible is Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. What I want to do this morning is simply walk through, unpack Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9 to help us understand what God expects. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. When you read that very last phrase, thy sons and thy sons' sons, he's not excluding daughters and their daughters. It's a generic form. He's talking about, if I were to settle on one word, our responsibility to generations. If this command that is communicated in this verse were carried out in the perfect family, and let me ask, how many of you are the perfect family? No. No. All of us largely are misfits. But let's take just a second and take a step back and see if this verse were carried out within the perfect family, you would have six adults passing along the faith to a single child. You would have mom and dad, and you'd have grandma and grandpa on one side, and perhaps nana and papa on the other side, all passing along the faith. Now, I know there are very few perfect families. Many families have missing pieces. Sometimes it's only one parent. Sometimes it's only one grandparent. But the fact is, the mandate doesn't change. We are at least two generations responsible to pass on the faith. If you're a grandparent, it is evident you have a two-generation responsibility. If you are a parent, you are halfway there. If you are neither, you are a part of a church body in this place. And the New Testament depicts most clearly and most often the church as a family. And as we conclude this study, we'll understand that no one escapes the responsibility, even those who are childless, to pass along the faith. By the way, Deuteronomy chapter 4 is Holy Spirit advice from old man Moses, who realizes that his time on this earth is coming to a conclusion, and he's communicating what he deems to be the most important things to people that he has lovingly led. And he spends an awful lot of time telling them how to pass on the faith. You can sense the passion. You can sense the fervency within him. He knows he will no longer be there to be a voice. But he does not want the stories to drop. He does not want the truth to slip through the cracks. And he is imploring people to pass along the faith. Notice what he said in the verse, first part of verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Now, back in the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I don't think you have perfect recall of Deuteronomy 4. If so, you're either amazing or weird. One of those two. But in the first two verses of Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is, is instructive, and here's what he says. Now, therefore, hearken. That simply means, listen, Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, get this phrase, for to do them. Why would I listen and do that you might live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you? Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord our God which I command you. Now we don't have time to give the whole backstory, story, but Moses is not going into the promised land. Joshua will be in charge in the conquest of the promised land. But Moses does know the secret to success in the promised land, even if he doesn't get to go on the journey. And the secret to success is, hearken, listen to what I'm telling you. Don't just listen, do what I say. Uphold the statutes, uphold the judgments. If you ever want to succeed in the land which lies ahead of you, you must listen and do, hear and act. I think we're good at lying to ourselves. We deceive ourselves when we tell ourselves that we're doing fine because we know the scriptures, when in all actuality, we're headed for a crash. We tell ourselves that we are spiritually mature because we know the stories of the Bible and we know the principles that they communicate. When in all reality, if we are not doing them, then we are falling into a trap. Knowing is not enough. We must listen and do. That's the formula for success. Moses is imploring the people to take heed to themselves And to keep their souls diligently. If I were to simplify that, it would just be the phrase, be careful about being careful. Take care of your soul diligently. It's the major point of all of Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's repeated throughout. Anytime in the Hebrew there is repetition, it is there to stress a point. It means something like, be extremely careful to guard your souls. I might say it this way, if we are not alert to the possibility of carelessness, we will unintentionally become careless. If we are not alert to the potential of carelessness in our lives, unintentionally, we will become careless. We must be intentional with our alertness. He simply says, In there, be careful about being careful. Take heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently. He's not saying in there that we are in charge of maintaining our soul and upholding or obtaining our own salvation. The word soul as it is used there refers to the real self. Who you really, who I really am. Most of us are great at maintaining facades. I know how to articulate, and I know what to clean up in order to impress people outwardly. But Moses and the Holy Spirit and God is not interested in you maintaining or keeping up a spit and polished facade. He is saying be careful about being careful with who you really are, who you know yourself to be engaged in your inner monologues, not what you want people to perceive, not maintenance of the facade that you are fronting, who you really are. This was the advice that the Apostle Paul gave to the elders at the church at Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's ministry with the church at Ephesus is coming to a conclusion. He goes to get on the ship to depart, and the elders from the church come with him. He's advising the elders now as he leaves how to care for the church. And one of the first bits of advice that he gives them arrives in verse 28 when we read, Take heed, therefore unto yourselves. Before Paul tells them how to care for the church, before he tells them how to guard or to guide the church, he exhorts them to be on guard. To be on guard for themselves. To pay close attention to themselves. Here's an important integer. If you're ever going to have influence beyond your own self and to the generations that come. He's written this. Be taught yourself... Before you try to teach others. Be light yourself before you try to give light to others. Be near to God yourself before you attempt to bring others near to God. Be careful yourself before passing it on. It's not just the advice that Paul gave to the elders at Ephesus. He said to his young son in the faith, Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed unto yourself. And unto the doctrine, continue in them. If I am going to be careful about the real me, it is going to require examination. Certainly, it is going to require self-examination, but I think it goes beyond that, and it requires spirit examination. What is spirit examination? It is the word which is a light. It is a word, the word, which is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of my heart. The psalmist David prayed this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Six personal pronouns. Where David is saying to God, search me. And the word search is very instructive. It means dig beneath the surface. Explore. Dig down. Shine your light around. You search me and point out where my errors, where my sins, where my faults are. And I will fix them. You see, there is no influence apart from accountability. If you are unaccountable to the word, your influence is mitigated. David isn't simply praying there. Okay, God, since you know everything, I guess I'll submit to your inspection. He is saying, God, I'm asking you to inspect me. He's pleading for it. He's inviting God's searchlight. God, put me under divine judgment. Do spiritual surgery on me. Make sure you're careful about the real you and be open to self-examination and spiritual searching from God. And if you are not exposed to the word, you are certainly limiting the searching that God can do. Be careful about being careful. Because carelessness waits for all of us. The second part of verse 9 says this, Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. Here's, Here's what he says. If you're not careful about being careful, then what will happen is you will become forgetful. And so he's basically saying, don't be forgetful. You say, well, pastor, you're preaching a message largely about grandparents and old people, and your second major point is don't be forgetful. That is impossible. That is part of the aging process. If you are careful about being careful, if you are listening and you are doing, then you are not prone to forgetfulness. But if you are not careful about being careful, if you listen but do not do, carelessness awaits, therefore forgetfulness arrives. And so he says here very clearly, don't be forgetful about the things which thine eyes have seen. Now when I was going through seminary, they said when you outline, don't say there are seven things because people don't know what things you're talking about. Why did Moses say the things? Well, verse 10 in the context of Deuteronomy 4 enlightens us as to the things that he's talking about. Verse 10 says this, especially the day... That thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me for all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children specially. That's what he says. Don't forget the things that you have seen and that God has said. I have a question, Moses. What things should we focus on remembering? He says, especially when I was up there and God gave the law and the law came to you and you were aware that the mandates that I spoke had a divine origin. Whatever you do, don't forget the mandates, the statutes, the commandments, the judgments of God. Whatever you do, don't forget his word. Why would they have to be reminded that the law had divine origin? It was really structured and seemingly strict to live in the nation of Israel. And they would be prone to buck up against, to push back on those rules and regulations, except they remembered these rules, this law has a divine origin, I am obeying God. We live in a world that rejects Scripture where every scriptural principle is largely countercultural, and so we must never forget that the mandates and the principles and the stories of Scripture have a divine author. Therefore, we submit to them. Don't forget the Word of God. This is the same advice that James gives in the New Testament. He says this in James 1.25, Whoso looketh, Into the perfect law of liberty, that is the word, and continueth therein. He, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Look into, continue to look. He is communicating very explicitly. Stoop down, look closely, since it's a grandparent's message. Put your readers on and magnify what you're looking at. Study it out. Continue in it in a prolonged fashion and then don't forget what you see. And don't be content with merely saving face. Conform the image that you see into the image of Christ. That's what James is saying. We know how to do just enough to save face. We know how to do just enough to maintain the facade and to keep up the show. James is saying, no, don't stop there. Press on to you conform into the image of Christ likeness. And pride fogs up that mirror. Pride looks at the reflection and only wants to save face, but the mature believer humbly looks at their reflection and desires to conform into the image of Christ. Remember what God has said and done and continue in His Word. If the faith that we hold dear, which has been once delivered to the saints, is ever going to stay generationally moving forward, it will be as we intentionally pass it on. And if we are going to succeed in intentionally passing it on, we must be careful about being careful. Guarding the real us. We must not be forgetful of the word and what we see and conforming into the image of Christ. And then it is very plain as he closes out verse 9 when he says, But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. He is saying, rather than forget, intentionally teach. Pass it on. No doubt they're supposed to pass on the substantive things that God said at Mount Horeb. He's talked about that in verse 10. And the stories of God that they had seen were amazing. And the provision was miraculous. But they were also to communicate the truth about who God is and his life-changing power by the lifestyle that they lived. Again, I'll I'll, I'll jump forward to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because this is pressing on Moses' heart. He wants to teach this. Here's what he writes in verse 1. Now, these are the commandments. Here's the things to not forget. These are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's son. So this ties right back to chapter four. All the days of thy life, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Now that's a lot of verbiage, but it is a reiteration of what we've just read two chapters earlier. Be intentional about observing, be intentional about doing, and be intentional about articulating to the next generation. And he's going to come back and make it clear what form that teaching takes on. Now, this is a verse within Scripture that I think perhaps many are familiar with. And now that we've set it in context, it is really instructive. Here's what he says in verse 7 of chapter 6. Thou shalt teach them diligently. And to understand that word diligently, it means repeat. Repeat these things again and again to your children. And what am I repeating? Well, those commandments and judgments. Talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, we build and we strengthen our children when we make the word of God our common theme. You say, so i got to have a really weird religious home? No. But what I am articulating is this. Your lifestyle is teaching your kids. When should I communicate these statutes? He says, when you are sitting in the house And that happens pretty infrequently, doesn't it? But when you're there, teach your kids. He says when you are walking in the way, and perhaps we should update that to when you are driving or riding in the car. Unless you're into walking to work, okay. And then he says, when you lie down and when you rise up, which he's just saying at the start and at the end of every day, make this your common theme, the word of God. Let me just say it to you this way. Kids have questions, spiritual questions, and they don't always happen on the clock or when you're here at 4700 Weddington Road. A lot of times they happen just before bed or first thing in the morning or in the afternoon or at a family funeral or at a family wedding or at a family picnic or at an inconvenient time for you. And may I say this from the onset, it is okay, it is healthy, it is good for your kids to have spiritual questions and to not understand everything and it's even okay for them to ask why. And perhaps you come from a generation where you don't ask questions, you just do actions. You don't need understanding, you just perform, and that performance is exhausting when you don't understand why. What I grasp from Deuteronomy 6-7 is, there is no downtime. Kids are going to have questions at random times, and you're going to have to teach them what God thinks. My kids have spiritual questions, and I have no out. I am both their father and, unfortunately for them, their pastor. I can't get away from it. My kids will have questions about things, and it is my responsibility to teach them in a gracious way. Let me say this. Adults have questions sometimes pastors have questions sometimes you don't have to just do because you see it done sometimes you want to know the bible behind it and it's okay to ask why and it is our responsibility to teach why and that's what's we're that's what we're reading in here there, there just isn't an off moment it's your kid the church can't raise your kid if they're only getting it at 9.45 or 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning or 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night or 5.30 through an online study, it's not, it's not going to work. It's got to be you. It's got to be intentional, and it has to be all the time. And it's not just sound doctrine. It's how are you living your life. Are you actually a gracious Christ-like figure as a father, mother, grandfather, grandmother? Because your children will largely base their impression of Jesus on your life. That is a weighty responsibility to say the least. The apostle Paul was writing to Titus. And I know that you don't have a child or you're not a grandparent, whatever that may be. Let me just bring this together for the church. He was writing to Titus and he says, Titus, I need you to call a family meeting. Get the family together, that is the church, and I need you to implore them to pass along what they know to the next generation. In in Titus 2, here's what he says to him. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, health, that bring about spiritual health, that the aged men, okay, we might say old guys, that the aged men, Be sober, be grave, be temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, be just like that. And be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Why? That they may teach the young. So in the church setting, the old, the aged, teach the young. And, And he's not really focused on the words that they are articulating He is really focused on the behavior they are exhibiting. The position is scriptural. The disposition is our heart set. Our attitude. Our mindset. Our words. We have to be right in both regards. Gracious Christ-like disposition most properly communicates scriptural position. That's what he's teaching. How are you living your life? What are you communicating? Look. I tease about it, and I know some people hate the thought of old age, but the Bible never asks you to avoid old age. The Bible never asks you to resist it. It welcomes you to it and then exhorts you to take advantage of it. The Bible venerates gray hair. That's a good thing. So I think we could probably add in there the Bible venerates no hair. Bald people too, if it happens with age. It's pretty cool. You're venerated. Proverbs 16.31, a tricky word is used talking about gray hair. The, the, the Solomon writes, the hoary head, that gray hair, that hoar-frosted head, is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So that means you can't arrive at old age and not be spiritually mature. You can age and not be an asset. You can actually age and become a liability, spiritually speaking. So the Bible is challenging the aging to maximize their wisdom and their experience and pass it on. That's why someone wrote, it's a shame that youth is wasted on the young. We're so much smarter. We should be so much more spiritual. Now, I know that there are downsides to becoming old, and that's why... Solomon wrote, it is venerated if it be found in the way of righteousness. Can I just tell you some of the dangers of aging? And something that I pray about now, even at 46, it's possible as we age to become creatures of formidable and unbreakable habits. And the longer we do things, the harder it is to change and the harder it is to deal with the things that we do. Sometimes, as we age, our besetting sins have become so much a part of our lives that we don't even see them as sins anymore. They're just part of the fabric of who we are, and we never deal with them. Sometimes we become a little obstinate. We become a little bit stubborn. Sometimes we think we know more than we do, and sometimes we think age equals wisdom, and it does not. And sometimes we become a little cynical. And sometimes we become a little bitter and we become a little hard to deal with and cantankerous and critical. And we begin to look at the generations that are coming behind us as lesser than and worse. And just remember, for all of you that lived through the 60s, you were the worst generation to your parents coming out of the war. And you made it. And you gave us life. Now, I know that it's hard for me. I come from the greatest, most successful, most educated, patriotic generation on earth. Those of us that were born in the 90s, the early 90s is when I was born. (laughs) I hear it all the time and I fight it within myself to look at the generations that are coming up behind me negatively. And to pass on cynicism and stubbornness and bitterness and a critical mindset towards them. I am to pass along the faith to them. And I am to serve my own generation in fear and trembling as David did. I should not look on them with disdain. I should look at them as a fresh opportunity to take the faith forward. And a lot of churches need to be reminded of that. And a lot of hoary heads need to hear that. It's possible to become cantankerous, critical, and bitter as we get older, stayed in our ways. Any change, anything different is xed out, no good. You say, now I hear within you, pastor, 18 years of pastoral experience. Are you telling me that old people, that the aged, can become cynical and critical and cantankerous and hard to deal with? I'm not saying that. Pastor Souza regularly says that in the office. I try to address it with him, but most of the time I'm amening what he's saying, so I, I can't correct. You see what we must be guarding against is we have to be careful about being careful and that's one of the things we have to be careful about and we can't be forgetful about the things that God has done for us and through us and what he's taught us in his word and we must be intentional about passing it on because if the next generation doesn't get it it's not that generation's fault it's our fault because either they didn't hear it or they didn't see it or a measure of both. And we're not off the hook for either. They have to hear it, and they have to see it, and we must pass it on. And it's the only way the faith moves forward. This is God's method. That's what Moses is saying. If you want to make it in the land, here's how to do it. If you want to fail miserably, don't do what I say. You might be here and you say, Pastor, I'm at a stage of life now where I feel like I'm kind of forgotten. I remember an era where I had some sphere of influence and now I kind of feel like a spectator in the work of God. I I don't know where I fit in. I, I don't know how my purpose comes to light. Let me just share some scripture with you. Isaiah was writing, and I want you to grasp this without a doubt. God does not just carry his people through old age. He often performs his greatest wonders in old age. Isaiah Speaking on behalf of God says. Even to your old age. I am he. I haven't changed. And even to whore hairs. Even to the gray head. Will I carry you. I have made. And I will bear. Even I will carry. And will deliver you. God is not done with you. If you are here. You are here on purpose. And the purpose is to pass on. What God has said. If you are in the way of righteousness what an incredible asset you are if you aren't there yet God willing you will be so start now by being careful about being careful not being a forgetful hearer and passing it on would you please bow your heads just for a moment thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church Podcast for more information about our church and our ministries head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is GracewayCharlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.